The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One me and one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. Fight, fight, green and white. I don't think that's what they mean. Who does Michigan State want to be? And putting the two into Tui Malowal, and what do you do on a side trip to Hattiesburg? This is College Game Day podcast for Halloween 2022. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here. Uh, we'll get to the Michigan State fight in the tunnel, and JT Tui Malowal was uh, that was as great an individual defensive performance as you'll ever see against Penn State. But Pete, it's Halloween. You've got young Teddy there. Is young Teddy dressing up for Halloween tonight? So young Teddy has multiple costumes. Um, I would say this, you know, throughout many of the first months of his life, young Teddy's adorable. And uh, we, we joked that he was really just a prop for Instagram because he would <laughs> he would get uh, he would get put in uh, in a bunch of uh, a bunch of just different uh, different outlandish outfits. And, uh, that you know, he'd be he'd be he'd be put out to the masses for the likes and the hearts. And Teddy gets plenty of them. So he has two different costumes right now that his aunt got him. Um, one is a dinosaur of some sort. And uh, I will say this, probably his best Halloween moment is he has Elmo Halloween themed pajamas that I don't okay. know if we can wear in November. So because he's a big, big, big Elmo fan. So, um, yeah, he's uh, he's rolling into eight months. Elmo, uh, I, I was told Elmo might make an appearance at his first birthday party. So, wow. Yeah, you may even hear him screaming in the background today because Teddy's Teddy's rolling around. Uh, Teddy's rolling <laughs> around the old condo in Boston this morning. So, uh, yes. So we're not going to hit the streets with young Teddy yet, uh, basically because it conflicts with his bedtime. But yeah. Yeah, there'll be some. We'll, we'll, we'll have some. We'll, we'll we'll drop a little uh, a little Teddy dressed up goodness on the uh, pod group text for everybody to see. So. Yeah, I would I would like to see that. Maybe you ought to you ought to put it out on Instagram too. I don't know. I don't know. You have to decide what you want to do with your kids. I remember that we had. When I guess when they were young, like Teddy, before they turned one, I think we had one year a Pooh Bear costume, oh. and then maybe mm. a maybe a pumpkin. Maybe my maybe one of my kids was a pumpkin. I have to look at the pictures to remember which was which. But fun times, man. Well, the best thing is, is that when they're really young, and you can actually take them out and go trick or treating. Well, they're too young to have all of that candy. Of course, you can't have that. So, and you don't want it to go to waste. So therefore, you got some free candy out of the deal. Is it bad that I'm not a big sweets guy? Well, no, it's probably good for you, but I yeah. I will say that I can't understand it. Okay, that's fair. No, I know you're a sweets guy. I love not it, like man. Desmond Howard. My God, Desmond Howard loves sweets. He he is a bird dog for the best sweets in the cities we go to. I, I he is impressive with his consistency, and he also still looks like he could go run a four three. So, yeah, he, he works it off so that he can do it. And I think Desmond is great at moderation, portion mm-hmm. control on that. But, you know, one of his twin boys loves cookies. The other one loves cinnamon rolls. It's easy to get cookies. And he, he had a big tray of cinnamon rolls that he was taking back. I, I've forgotten. I think I think it's little twin. He calls he calls uh, big twin and little twin. I think it's little okay. twin 
that likes the sweet rolls. He said he was going to be surprised by the cinnamon rolls. And yeah, there's plenty always, of good food in Jackson last week. There, I, I was sorry I got there a little bit late uh, due to my wife's birthday, but the catering was uh, tremendous that we had from a local establishment. And I even, Pete, because you know Friday nights usually I just lock in the room. I even ordered room service and had some spectacular gumbo. So really? great food. Room did you find it? Wow. Did you find anything in the side trip to Hattiesburg, either food wise or football wise of note? So I, I went pretty direct to uh, the rock right from the airport when I landed in uh, Jackson. So I did not, I have been to an elite barbecue place in Hattiesburg. I went there, uh, Will Hall's first spring and Brent Jones, the Troy AD who had worked there insisted I go to this hole in the wall for ribs, which of course you'd think I'd remember the name of, but I don't. Um, we'll get it for the next, we'll get it for the next show. Hattiesburg is a good eating town. The Rock was jumping the other night. That was a fun, fun football game. Um, and uh, I will say that uh, the, the highlight of the game, there was a lot of highlights because it was, uh, you know, it's a good Thursday night football game, was Will Hall, the Southern Miss coach, is the son of a legendary Mississippi high school coach. And I got to I got to sit with Coach Hall in the second quarter. And uh, the line of the game by far and away, we're talking about Frank Gore Jr., who's obviously the star young running back for uh, Southern Miss. And uh, Coach Hall said, that's why Kentucky Derby winners sire Kentucky Derby winners. And his wife looked at him and said, are you talking about you and Will? <laughs> oh, and, and well, so the question is, was he? Maybe uh, on some, no, on some he was level, not. He was right? talking about the Gores. Yeah. <laughs> Frank Gore Jr. runs pretty hard. I don't know if we'll see him uh, on, on two decades of Sundays like his dad. But uh, he, had, he had a nice little night, uh, Frank Gore Jr. did, and he's going to be – he is a high-end Conference USA running back um, in, a, in a really good uh, – he's turned into a really good college football player. That's one of the cool stories in uh, in, in college sports. So, anyway, it's a good night Good night down on the rock. I uh, enjoyed my side trip to Hattiesburg. Yeah, and a good Saturday afternoon in Jackson too. Oh yeah, uh, to see to see the way not only the university community but the entire city is supporting Jackson State and taking pride in it. Not only from the crowd at game day, but it was a terrific crowd at the game, uh, even with the threatening weather and uh, their their defense. I mean, I know Shadur Sanders ended up getting it going and. Uh, you know, and put up some numbers, but their their defense is uh, yeah, they they lead in the statistical categories, but they're fast and they're aggressive and they're sure tacklers, and it's a really good looking unit that uh, Dion has put on the field there. Well, Dennis Thurman is their defensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. He coordinated in the NFL for nearly a decade. He's been he's an experienced. That was one of the things that impressed me being around their walkthrough on Fridays. Dion Sanders has has assembled a very good coaching staff. Tim Brewster, old friend Tim Brewster, yep. many iterations uh, around uh, FBS college football, uh, former Minnesota head coach, former Fox sideline reporter um, in, in other, uh, in other varied things is the, uh, is the tight end coach there. And uh, yeah, it was, it was an impressive looking team. You walk out on the field, you see them, you're like, okay, you know, they, they don't look all that different than a conference USA team. Mm -hmm. um, so credit to Dion. He's built a good roster and, uh, I think my takeaway there will just be the spirit that he's instilled. Now, again, it's Jackson State. It's homecoming. People are going to be excited no matter what the record is and what the score is going to be. But I really feel like he's lifted that whole university up. And that was just the, that that will be the, the feeling when I think back on going to Jackson State five years from now, uh, that he has galvanized a university in a city and pushed it forward. It's one of the things that makes him attractive 
I think for bigger jobs, you know, and when I say bigger, I mean at the highest level of college football and power five jobs, um, because that's part of it now. Um, you know, I think I mentioned this last week that there was a basketball coach at uh, Seth Greenberg's breakfast last week that said, um, relatively speaking, so little of my day is devoted to just the X's and O's of basketball. And that is true in football, too, for a head coach. Now, you, that can't be ignored. I mean, and certainly, you know, Deion Sanders fully capable of doing those things. But part of the role of being the head coach, as opposed to being Dennis Thurman, the defensive coordinator, or the offensive coordinator anywhere, is to do what you're talking about, instilling the spirit, uh, overseeing the entire program, dealing with the, the problems or good moments that any of the players might have on and off the field, setting the tone, uh, the overused phrase, establishing the culture. That's a big deal. That's If a head coach can't do that, rare is the head coach in the college level, maybe in the NFL they can do this, but at the college level that they can just lock themselves away in the film room and dial up ball plays that they're going to run on Saturday. Can't really do that. And I think that is uh, w- one of the things, his ability to put together a high-level staff, his ability to uh, generate enthusiasm, his ability to get donors on board. Um, you know, that that's one of the things that people will look at as they start to evaluate him. And as I, I said this uh, in our media availability on Friday, I think the, the thing about Deion Sanders and uh, whether he will stay or go is that he's Deion Sanders. He doesn't have to go. You know, I think if you're a, if you're a young coach rising through the ranks, you kind of have to. I mean, you, you don't have to. Have to. No one has to do anything. You can choose to be a high school coach forever. But if you aspire mm-hmm. to uh, maybe create wealth for your family generations down the road or whatever it might be, you kind of have to. And Dion's not in that boat. Dion has uh, the ability to do whatever he chooses to do from a, a professional standpoint. So it was a it was a great trip. We were treated uh, treated wonderfully. Uh, one thing that I failed to mention on Saturday, and I, I'm even reticent to mention it a little bit here because I don't want to, you know, be accused of uh, us tearing rotator cuffs to pat ourselves on the back. Meaning, speaking corporately as as the company, but ESPN, you know, did uh, did make a donation, did make a contribution as it pertains to the Jackson water crisis, which seems to be in good shape. But they were a little concerned with, uh, you know, back-to-back big weeks with homecoming last week and rival Southern coming in this week. So, you know, I maybe I should have mentioned that on the show Saturday. I, I didn't, but we're mentioning it here. And, you know, our company, I'm happy to work for a company that's happy to help out in, in situations that. like yeah. that. So it was it was a good trip, and we've got a big one coming up to Georgia this week. But let's, uh, let's take a little walk back. In terms of establishing, we'll take a brief look over the past weekend. The... Michigan State, Michigan thing brought up two problems to me. One is obvious. Can't behave that way. Uh, You can be as chippy and and resentful as you want to the perceived, uh, you know, big brother type things, being the quote unquote other school in the state, be as chippy as you want, but it can't uh, devolve into having a fist fight in the tunnel after the game and really one of that nature where you have a bunch of guys ganging up on one guy, what precipitated it? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm 
like everyone else. I'm just looking at the video that I saw of the four Michigan State players uh, that were suspended, and it seemed a few others, uh, jumping on one Michigan player. You know, was there taunting? Did it get chippy in the game? Yes. Got to find a way to let it go. I want you to react to that first. But the other thing I'll bring up is the one thing. Last week, we sort of laughed about the tunnel thing and throwing the peanut butter and jelly sandwich and, and hitting, I think it was R.J. Moten in the face when Penn State and Michigan uh, got it. But now we've got two weeks in a row at issue in the tunnel. So I'm not saying they have to reconfigure the big house, but they've got to do something. Whether what, Whatever protocol needs to be established, I think it's just wise and you get in front of potential problems if in the post game, now you may have some stuff going to halftime anyway, because everybody has to get in there. But after the game, I don't know if it's winners stay until the losers exit the field. I don't know if it's home team stays until visitors exit the field. There's got to be some way uh, because now, now it's happened two weeks in a row. And you, at times it's popped its head up over the years, but mostly it's usually just yelling at each other, which is kind of part of the flavor. But uh, maybe it's time to look into some type of protocol for exiting the field at the big house. Yeah, well, there's, it's a pattern now. And it, the fact that it happened in a pretty high profile way two weeks in a row. And administratively, if you're if you're Michigan, you just can't afford to have something else happen. Right mm -hmm. now, again, I'm not blaming Michigan for what happened. Obviously, no. I mean, uh, they're Michigan, play, they're player, clear, yeah. Michigan State's more to blame for this. Correct. By yes. the way. No, no yes. question about that. Yes. A player got assaulted. Right. Yes. So you can't blame that on a tunnel um, or allegedly assaulted, I should say. But it's being investigated as as an assault. And what happened was unconscionable. I'm glad to see Michigan State take swift action against those players and look into it more. Um, but. Yeah, I just think like that was one of the ugliest scenes, Reese, that I'd seen in, in recent memory. On on field, in stadium type situations, I can't remember much more. You've essentially got armed men, you know, hitting. You can't even see the 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 Michigan defensive back at some mm -hmm. point because he's just he's just surrounded by uh, surrounded by guys. So it was look that was an ugly day for Michigan State, an ugly moment for Mel Tucker, which been it's been a bad season on the field. But forget that. All the bad offense and terrible results, those are going to get washed away. This is the one thing Michigan State football will be remembered for this year, more than anything else by far and away. It's an indelible stain, and it's going to be really hard to erase that those images and what happened. It was uh, it was unconscionable. And I'm glad that there's going to be, you know, swift. I'm glad there was swift action and Michigan State's administration took it seriously, but that was just a that was just an ugly, ugly night. It was, and now here's the challenge for Mel Tucker. You know, he was already getting some grief because they weren't winning, and he has the big contract that comes with the territory. Now the challenge is, what kind of program do you want to be? You know, what, what do you want your reputation to be? How do you want to demand that your players, your staff, everybody behaves? Um and this is a this is a pivotal moment for the Mel Tucker regime at Michigan State, and it would not have been so without that incident in the tunnel. I'm not talking about the wins and losses. I mean, you know, he's trying to kind of put it together quickly. Did it through the portal. Tried to do it again over time. I think he'll be able to use the portal more judiciously as opposed to depending on it. But now it becomes a pivotal moment in his regime, not to whether he gets fired, but to what the perception of Michigan State is. 
Is it going to be that it's this uh, a rough and tumble, chippy, ready for a literal fight? Not a figurative one. A figurative fight they should be ready for. They can be a little chippy and edgy in their play within the rules on the field. That's great. I'm a, in fact, I'm for that. You know, especially for Michigan State with where with where they I'm for that figuratively and in terms of intensity on the field. But are you the kind of program that's going to carry it off the field? You know, and then you will be in direct contrast to the program you can't stand, you know, (laughs) because you don't really see that from from Michigan. You never really have. You don't see you don't see that from Ohio State. You know, so you aspire to compete with them. Are you going to carry that same level of uh, class and culture within uh, within the bounds of behavior once the competition ends? Man, you want to you want to be tough. You want to talk a little smack. You want to knock people on their rear ends on the game uh, during the game. I'm for it, man. I'm here for it. And I think Michigan State does have to have a little bit of an edge because they never will be Michigan or Ohio State. But they can still carry themselves with class. And I do also want to point out when I say this, everybody on the Michigan State team didn't do this. You know, just uh, sure. the the four guys who were suspended appeared. Some other ones might have gotten caught up in the moment based on the video clip that I saw. So everybody is not guilty but everyone gets tainted by it, by having something like that happen within their program. And so it's incumbent on Mel to set the tone, to stop this. And it's also incumbent on the leaders on that team, the players, to not let that happen. I didn't see many players stepping in there to stop that. And that, that's a problem, too, in my judgment. And I, I hope they get it fixed because I'm uh, – you know, spent a lot of time at Michigan State over the years, both football and basketball. I really like Mel. I think Mel's a good coach, and I think that I think that didn't cast a good light on his program to and uh, the understatement of the century. There, it didn't. And you know, and and he was aggravated too. I'm sure uh, you probably saw, uh, probably you've seen the video by now of the fan reaching out to touch him. He knocks yes. his hand away. Would it have been better, maybe not to? Okay. But I don't blame him. I mean, yeah. fan, you know, fans, that, that's you can't do that. I mean, you're not reaching out to, you know, try to get a fist pound or something or shake his hand. You're, you're trying to mess with him. I don't blame him for that. That was I'm amateur not, hour by the fan. And yeah, I don't blame no that's question. a human. That's a human interaction. Yeah, that's a human interaction. Like, what are you doing? Don't touch yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I mean, I, I had a lot of empathy that. for, for Mel in that. That was uh, I hope they threw that guy out. Um, and yeah. I don't know if they if they did or not. You can't get away with that type of behavior if you're a fan. I mean, come on, man. You know, reach out and try to mess with somebody yeah. like that. You're yeah. you're inviting trouble. You're not part of this. You know, you're yeah. you're part of it by yelling. You know, mm-hmm. yell what you want. That's part of yeah. the atmosphere. But when you cross that line, that's you know, yeah. that's no that's no good. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. More fun stuff in Happy Valley. What about JTT? JT Tui Molohau. Okay, let's see. Putting the two into Tui Molohau. Two picks, two sacks, tip pass. It caused an interception and two fumble involvements. One fumble forced, one fumble recovered. I mean, that dude was, that dude was amazing. Yeah, Sean Clifford's going to see him in his nightmares for the rest of his career. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting with JTT because he came to Ohio State as the number one recruit in the country, uh, not just the, the the top defensive end, but he was regarded as an elite, elite, elite player. Remember, his recruitment Reese went right into like May, June. It was a really late spring. It was sort of an unusual timeline as it went. And if I remember right, it was Oregon was 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 right in there. The Buckeyes were obviously in there, and I believe it was Alabama. And so the the interesting part of his development, and we've seen this with some of Larry Johnson's elite elite guys who've come on that defensive line, is that JTT didn't, I mean, he flashed at different times, but he has not, this is the first time you can fairly say that he has dominated a college football game. And uh, Larry Johnson, to his credit, and look, no one can, no one can question his methods because of the results he's gotten, doesn't tend to throw guys right into the fire. He rotates a lot of guys. He gives a lot of guys reps. Look, they have very good defensive linemen at, at Ohio State. And so I think his career had been a little bit of a slow burn buildup to uh, to this moment. But boy, once he got unleashed, um, you know, it's going to be it's going to be hard to not play him a lot, lot more snaps now. Um, just as as you as you go forward and, and, and move forward here. Um you know, Zach Harrison's had a nice season for Ohio State on that defensive line. He was another highly regarded recruit, and he hasn't quite lived up to what he was supposed to be in recruiting. But it's nice to see a guy come in, maybe struggle a little, endure, and then flash now in in his fourth season. And we, we started to see some flashes at Jack Sawyer, who's the other defensive end, who was, uh, you know, who was regarded as the top. Those are, those guys were basically the top D end recruits in the country. And when you look at the line of Boses and Chase Youngs who've gone through there, certainly the Buckeyes have uh, have cornered the market uh, in some ways on the uh, elite high end defensive ends. But yeah, uh, JTT was a uh, was a was a freakazoid. Um, you know, some people said it was the most dominant defensive line performance they've ever seen. Boy, I have a couple Chase Young games in the back of my mind where he absolutely wrecked games mm-hmm. in the same way JTT did. So um, certainly a high-end, unbelievably dominating. If Urban Meyer was the coach, he definitely would have called it the best game ever by a Buckeye defensive end because nobody <laughs> loved hyperbole more than Urban. You know, He'd be like, that, that's the best practice by a redshirt, uh, best spring practice eight by a redshirt sophomore left guard that we've ever seen here at Ohio. You know. that, but, that I've ever been associated with. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, Urban loved some hyperbole. It, it made him, uh, yes. Always made him good to cover because you're like, oh, that's a great quote. <laughs> well, I think uh, the thing that, that got people were the interceptions by the defensive end having a couple sure. of them yeah. in the touchdown for sure. Weekend Review is brought to you by Eckridge Smoked Sausage. Find them in the refrigerated meat aisle at your favorite grocery store to create one-of-a-kind sausage recipes. Eckridge, you do you. So what did you leave that game with? 
as it pertains to Ohio State, you know, I sort of think that I came out of it thinking that even when they were struggling and the offense wasn't clicking exactly, that it seemed so much easier for them uh, than it did for Penn State as they tried to move the ball. And that's a credit to JTT and the entire defense. But it's uh, it was it was notable to me that it just seemed easy even when it wasn't clicking for Ohio State because of their vast array of talent. Yeah, I I, I think that, you know, as as we've looked at, it's funny to look at the stats because they actually had less yards than Penn State, less first downs than Penn State. Now, some of that was Penn State, you know, they had such short fields from JTT that they didn't maybe have to, um, you know, they didn't have to drive the length of the field a bunch of times. So there were some three and outs. There were some moments mm-hmm. of, of, of learning and struggle. There one of the interesting things to me that I thought might have been instructive early in the game was Ohio State struggled to run the ball. Now, mm-hmm. credit to that offensive line and credit to Cade Stover. He was a monster blocking in the run game for Ohio State. We've talked about him here on the pod and what a difference he's made given that giving that uh, Ohio State offense an edge. Um, there was one of those Travion Henderson runs that he he blocked two guys and and mauled them through. So without early results, Ohio State stuck enough to the run where uh, where Trayvon Henderson was able to end up gashing gashing Penn State late. Um, but I thought some of the early struggles to to, to run the ball were you know were, were pretty interesting. Ohio State only ended up with three point eight yards of rush, and that was with a couple of uh, a couple of late chunk plays that uh, that that kind of came through there. So. I, I, by no means at this point, does anyone think, you know, Ohio State's going to do to Michigan um, in Ohio Stadium what the Don Brown defense is? What happened to the Don Brown defense is there for a couple years in a row where, where Ohio mm-hmm. State just flummoxed them on offense? I just think that game, to me, after this Penn State game, that, that Ohio State-Michigan game is going to be a rock fight. It is going to be a test of wills. I do think that Ohio State showing a little bit more bones defensively at times this year is is going to be helpful to them. I do think some of the, the some of the schematic stuff that Jim Knowles has brought to them um, has started to flash at you know start to flash at different times. But um, yeah, there's there you know that there will be that that those battles in the trenches in Ohio State, Michigan on what we're probably hoping is going to be a cold, snowy you know November sort of Big Ten weather game. Um, I, I think it's going to be a, a very it's going to be a very interesting fist fight that Ohio State's probably better prepared for, but by no means can you can you just say oh they're gonna you know they're gonna they're gonna TKO them in the third round. No, I, I agree. I think maybe you know you're right. I think I was so influenced by like when Ohio State had its back to the wall, the three yard a three play seventy five yard touchdown drive. And then the one that followed was seven plays, 75 yards. I'm just looking at the drive chart here. They went uh, 16-yard completion, 12-yard completion, 42-yard completion, seven-yard touchdown. You know, and those are just the highlight plays. I was like, boom, boom, boom. Um, and to be able to pull that out when they needed it most, I think, is, uh, you know, probably something that very few teams, maybe Tennessee, you know, can can pull out drives like that when they need them. But uh, we'll probably find out whether the Big Orange can do that uh, against Georgia on the road, as Ohio State did it in a hostile road environment on Saturday. A couple more things from the weekend. You texted me during the stunning demolition uh, by Kansas State of Oklahoma State. Not stunning that they won, stunning that they beat them 48 to nothing, that – 
you know, for Gundy's greatest, worst loss, right? Reece? Yeah, yeah. Gundy's worst loss. I think their first shutout since uh, I might get this wrong memory. I think like oh nine, maybe something. Been a really long time, but uh, I think the uh, I think the the you sent me a text and said maybe Will Howard is their best quarterback, best option. Well, you know, certainly he he put on a first half performance against TCU and he got a little banged up in the second half there and, and missed a possession at TCU. But my gosh, what a, I mean, what a revelatory performance. Um, I believe they were up 35, nothing at halftime. And, you know, I can't sit here and tell you, I've watched every snap of K state this year to, you know, to have like a, a great Howard versus Martinez feel. But I, but I do think if you're that offensive coaching staff and you're calling Klein and you're going back there on Monday, You've got to you've got to ask yourself, okay, going uh, going forward here, who you know who gives us the uh, who gives us the best you know the best chance to win? Because H- Howard's a guy who came there from California, I believe, and you know was 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 regarded as a uh, good recruit. But the, the thought in camp this summer was that he just needed a little time and seasoning, which quarterbacks do. Not all not all quarterbacks are uh, are ready made from from the sounds of talking to people about the Adrian Martinez injury. Um, you know, he was close to being able to go. He practiced limited on Thursday with Texas coming to town this weekend. You would think that that leg would be, uh, you know, okay to be okay to be back. But I, I just think, boy, what a, you know, I guess it's an enviable position in a lot of ways because Adrian Martinez has had a heck of a year. I, he's I think he's year. the only starter in the country to have not thrown an interception yet. And again, I don't know what, what, what you want to use for attempts and whatnot, but don't, the only guy who started the year as a starter pretty much played every game who hasn't thrown an interception. I think he's responsible for 13 touchdowns and, uh, and, and no interceptions. And he's a man, right? He's been through it all. You know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of positives that, that, that come with that. But um, you know, look, Will Howard was, was, was special. He had 296 uh, passing yards. There were a couple big shot chunk plays that, that looked pretty good. Put a smile on my face to see Cade Warner, son of Kurt mm-hmm. on the uh, receiving end of, uh, of, of two of those, like what a perfect place for a Warner kid to go K state, you know, the, yeah. the, the gritty, you know, overachieving program of the last couple, uh, last couple generations. And, you know, does the threat of that pass game, it, you know, especially downfield, make Deuce Bond even more lethal. So I don't know. What do, but, what do you think, Reese? Do you but, do you make that switch here? No, uh, with- I, I don't. But I like the fact that I think it, it seems to have made them more uh, dynamic in the in the passing game. And it's a credit to Colin Klein that, and, and to the entire structure of the offense that they can change things a little bit. I think Martinez has established himself as a leader. And as you mentioned, he's had a great season. He's a great runner. And that has, you know, has made their rushing attack lethal, extra blocker, all of those things that coaches who run quarterbacks like. But what happens is when you run the quarterback that often is you're susceptible to a sprained ankle or to a, you know, banged up shoulder. And you know for a fact now that you have – and what Will's played some in the past, probably thrown into the fire well before he was ready in, in years past. But now you know – he can deliver, which now means that Adrian Martinez can just go play. I think he's capable of throwing throwing the ball too. But they, you know, he's Will Howard can run. He's not as dynamic as Martinez running. Um, so I don't make the switch. But you know, you've got you've got someone at the ready. Should things falter, or should Adrian not be a hundred percent? You know, should he not 
uh, you know, should the ankle act up again or some such thing, which you certainly hope it doesn't. But, um, you know, they strike me as the type of program where it's not a quarterback controversy as it would be almost anywhere else. But given, you know, given Adrian's uh, path to get to Kansas State and and Will's patience, you know, and knowing is sort of um, like you were talking about the gritty, scrappy program. Anywhere else, you might have some hurt feelings and uh, agitation. I'm betting that's not the case in Manhattan. And it's a really, really big game for them Saturday and a big game for Texas because you lose that game and the best you can do is another mediocre season for Texas. Yes. And I, I have not talked to anybody at K-State as we tape this on Monday morning, but I would guess that they're not going to tip their hand on who they're going to start. Because yeah. now if you're, you're if you're if your Texas is defense is staff, you've got to prepare for two kind of totally different players, which is just mm-hmm. a pain in the, you know, pain in the rear. So uh, Chris Klein has won a lot of football games, so yeah. I, I don't think <laughs> I don't think he, he needs any help, uh, you know, in, in sort of confusing and in, in making the opponent inefficient in their uh, in, in their preparation. Now, I also think if Adrian Martinez starts and to no fault of his own, they're down 14, nothing quick. You have someone who has shown, I mean, he had four, uh, Will Howard had four consecutive touchdown drives at TCU. Some of the TCU staff said to me that they thought Howard was just the better player. So that was sort of where that got planted in the back of my mind. Um, I, I got a couple of texts about that late in the week as we were, we were talking about, you know, who, mm-hmm. you know, is Adrian Martinez going to start was one of the bigger stories. We talked about a bunch on game day on Saturday. So there were a few people who just kind of volunteered to me like, Ooh, they might be better off with Howard. And not that the thought hadn't crossed my mind because he was so dynamic in that first half, but it certainly is that there's a little bit of wow. I mean, the best news for Kansas State going forward is he's a third year player um, who I believe would wrap into the COVID year. I don't know what year anyone is anymore, Reese, but uh, like you I can't you know, keep he, up. Yeah, but he's got a, he's got a couple of years left and, you know, pretty high ceiling. Um, going forward, so that's a nice piece to have, knowing knowing as a coaching staff and the piece is with peace of mind. Okay, we don't have to go get another veteran guy in the portal. We have a guy on campus. We can focus on developing our younger guys and in uh, in keeping them rolling. But on Texas, whew, that would be. Um, I think the number is that Sark is uh, Texas had a buy last week, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. So they they were ten and uh, ten and ten. Um, in in Sark's first twenty games, and I think it took Tom Herman to his twenty seventh game to lose ten games. Now, it, there's you comparing coaching reigns. It's like, well, he left us with great players like Bijan Robinson. He left us with bad players on the offensive line. You mm-hmm. can parse it any way you want, but the reality is that Sark needs to start winning because they are not patient there. Um, I really thought that him having to apologize for the eyes of Texas thing, like. Now, Texas football may be sputtering and Texas football may be underachieving, but they will always lead the nation in self-importance in trotting their coach out to apologize for the eyes of Texas. Uh, what a, I'm sorry. Like, I just thought that was like, it, it was just like, why is Texas football like broken from the top down? I thought that was like a perfect snapshot of that. They hamstrung Herman with that for weeks and weeks on end. Um, and, and I don't think Sark like was like, I'm going to go do this. I have no yeah, inside knowledge yeah. of that, but I, that's not exactly how coaches are wired. They're wired like, man, we just lost a heck of a competitive game. We're heartbroken. I plum forgot. Like, yeah. you don't have to start your press conference with a public apology. That's the people at Texas, the suits, the, 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 the puppeteers and danglers taking themselves way too seriously. I, I totally agree. You want to answer a question about it and answer it honestly, go ahead. You know, but otherwise, I mean, they just lost a really, really difficult game. 
one thing that popped in my mind when you said you don't know uh, how many years anyone has left anymore, what class they are. Um, probably the most stunning piece of uh, uh, information that I've come across in the last few weeks is when we were in Oregon. I had no idea that Bo Nix had another year if he chooses to use it. Bo Nix can come back next year if if he if he wants. I didn't know that either. Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was like, wait, what, really? And yeah, yeah. he's got got another year. If he, I guess we should tell our that. listeners, everybody now has six. If you were on campus for the COVID COVID year, year right? So it like did, 2020 didn't count. Yeah, no matter who so, you are, so right? you can be a redshirt freshman with four remaining. But there's also plenty of guys who've also gotten injury exemptions who are you know in their seventh year right mm-hmm. now, and I think there's even one or two like going on going on eight. So anyway, it's not like we're lazy and can't look it up. But when someone says someone is a freshman, that can mean like three different things. So mm-hmm. it's just I, I've started to try to write like third year player, mm-hmm. um, but now when it's going to get really confusing is some of the younger players who've come in in 21 and don't have the COVID exemption yeah. are, are now back to being five year guys. So it's like. It's he's a third year player with a six year window as opposed to as opposed to that. So, yes, it's all confusing. I was happy for you, Reese, that uh, when when Troy played on uh, Thursday, it was the Thursday we were going out to Eugene that your guy, Jared Dagey, got a start for the uh, Troy Georgians. He's going to win, too, on uh, on Thursday night. I know he's one of your he's one of your favorite vagabonds who yes, uh, bounced is. around to, to quite a few places. I think what Bowling Green, West Virginia, where he started for two years, Western yeah. Kentucky. For like a week a minute of summer and a school. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> and then he went to the BW3s in Bowling Green for like 15 minutes. And then he's now in uh, Troy, Alabama. So that's so, so uh, on the subject of Troy, you know, they they beat South Alabama, whose only other loss was to UCLA in the last minute. So on an uh, awful, awful fake field goal call. Right. Yeah, uh, just a terrible call. I'm sorry that that was one yeah. of the worst play calls of the entire college football. Season. Dumb loses more than smart wins. That was okay. dumb. That was yeah. if you had to rate the dumb loses more than smart wins, that would be like the you know that would be the Jim Carrey of the dumb loses. More than smart wins. <laughs> so on Saturday, I decided I and this turned out to be a horrible 50-50 choice. I've been put it out on Twitter. Should I take North Texas and the ten? against Western Kentucky, or should I take Arkansas State at home getting nine against South Alabama, right? So I chose poorly, unwisely. Uh, I had a gut feeling about North Texas, but then I I said so many home teams have won this year, and you're getting close to 10, maybe Arkansas State to keep it close, dead wrong. South Alabama blows them out, right? So I get this text from an unnamed person at South Alabama that said, it was suggested to me that I send you a weird number one emoji, but minus the index finger. <laughs> so you know what my response was? It was two things. It was like, you know what? I think I was the first to put you in the top 25 this year and you freaking lost to Troy. And by the way, I missed all your thank you notes for ranking you in the top 25. <laughs> mute text person so i I hope i hope it was major applewhite who has the wit to uh to to be able to write something now (laughs) you know the one thing after i after i had done that i thought you know what and it's why i rarely respond and never do it well i say never 0.1 percent of the time on social media because the one thing in the aftermath because it did annoy me not so much that they were having fun but just the tone of it and i thought well what if what if the person was trying to be funny 
didn't come across that way. Mm. You know, I was like, well, it'd be different. But, and, and to be clear, I don't have like some deep relationship with this person. It was almost like a, a random text. I wasn't really sure how he got my number to begin with. And I, anyway, it struck me as obnoxious. So I reached into my Bill Raftery bag. And Raft always used to say that when, you know, some coach would come over and complain about some criticism or something. And, and Raft would go, I must have missed all your thank you notes for the good stuff I said. <laughs> <laughs> so I just reached into the Raftery bag of tricks and then muted the conversation. Whoever the person is. I hope he doesn't need anything else because it's not coming through to my phone anymore. Anyway, <laughs> and he listens to the podcast, so he'll he'll know that now. You'll have to reach out through a secondary party. After uh, <laughs> that, Hypnotoad does it again, mm-hmm. and and this this idea maybe the anecdote for the patented Sonny Dykes fade. We're just getting in November, so we'll see. Maybe it's Hypnotoad. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Don't toads have like some weird medicinal values in like some sort of, in some sort of cultures? Isn't, is, is, am, I, am I completely wrong in, in saying that? Is that like my bad Halloween hex of, uh, of, of something? I certainly barely know anything about college football, so I certainly don't know anything no, about please. pharmaceuticals. So, Well, uh, I know that if your dog uh, catches a toad and licks it, it'll start foaming at the mouth like it's got rabies. So you have to be careful of that. Okay. Yeah. Toads are, toads are funny. Yeah. Toads are, to, toads are funny. Maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe the hypnotoad combined with Halloween. Where do you think they're ranked Tuesday, Reese? We're, that's, we're that's taping a, this on Monday. Yeah. I, I think that's a really interesting question. I think they're the most interesting of, of, of anyone because where they start will determine where they have to go and, and how much traffic is going to be in front of them. Um, Probably where they are in the poll, I think. I think they'll probably be seven. I could see them being ranked ahead of Alabama, maybe being six. Um, see, I don't worry as much about the traffic in front of them because I think it'll take care of themselves. So I think it'll it'll move. They'll move up as long as they stay unbeaten. What might not be <clears throat> what might be tougher. I won't, I was about to say it might not be fair, but it might very well be fair because I. I think the committee should employ some football judgment in evaluating the teams. But what might be tougher for them from a starting point is if they were to lose a game but still win the Big 12 championship, then that might put them in peril against, you know, if, if there is a one-loss SEC team that's not the conference champion. So, you know, I think, I think that's interesting uh, for sure. I, but I think six or seven is where I anticipate them being. Um, you know, look, here, here's the other thing. They could be, they could be six still behind Alabama, but in front of Clemson. Uh, I, that wouldn't, that wouldn't stun me. Um, mm-hmm. if, if how those teams stack up in, in that group, I, I also think they played two road games out of league. Now look, Colorado stinks, but when you schedule yeah. that five years ago, you don't, you don't know, know. Colorado is going to yeah. stink. And you go play at SMU, like that's a that's a good salty little road game against a team that's been, you know, consistently solid the last three or four years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's obviously a rivalry game that they that they traditionally play. But you know, so you you go there, you you look through their schedule, and then you see one, two, three, four top twenty wins in a row. 
Um, and then they look like they weren't going to go to West Virginia and win 42 to seven. We knew that they, mm-hmm. you know, they won as you know, that's, a, that's a road win in the league. And it's if you do big, that by double it's digits, it's a great win. It's a great win. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I have no, I have no issues with that. The interesting thing about them going forward and why I'm so concerned with where they start being ranked is they will not play another ranked team. Now, maybe Baylor could be ranked on November 19th. And, and I give Dave Aranda credit. They're rounding into form mm-hmm. as we've, uh, you know, as, as we've seen them do over the years. But I, uh, I really think that all of a sudden you could have four games against. Now, look, is it easy to go to Texas and win or Baylor to win? No, it's not. Like Texas still has B. John Robinson, who's a top five prospect. Quinn Ewers can still spin it. It's a difficult place to play. Um, so I don't think anyone, if, if Texas is sputtering near 500 at that time, which they inevitably will be just because of the amount of losses they have already. Um, but like it could be held against them that they are not, they don't have any ranked teams left. So I, that's why I just think an, an early pole position where you're established and where you have to go. I do agree. If they are an undefeated big 12 conference champion, they will go to the college football playoff. But the one the one loss, and, and look, do I think they'll probably trip up in the next four games? Yes, it's college football. You have two hard mm-hmm. road games. <clears throat> and, um, you know, look, they got to they gotta play Iowa State at home, and Iowa State can can drag you into the mud even though they're winless in the, in the, in the league. And Texas Tech has shown uh, enough flashes where you're just certainly not going to write that off as a win. And quite frankly, TCU's shown the vulnerabilities to get behind mm-hmm. where it, this isn't, uh, you know, this isn't some version of 2020 Alabama. So – um, anyway, they're interesting. I am so glad TCU has just sort of become this 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 fascinating high end team this year because I think it's really spiced up the sport, spiced up the conversation. It's good to have with Oklahoma, Texas ailing. It's good to have that region with with some vibrancy and some relevancy. And uh, it's exciting that for the Big Twelve going forward. And we should probably talk a little bit about their TV contract because um, I do think in the big picture of college sports, that's, that's something that's pretty important that, uh, you know, that, that unfolded on Sunday there. But I do think just having, having TCU as a flagship for the big 12 going forward is, uh, is important. And wow. I mean, even before we expand the playoff, there are new teams getting involved. Who could have ever imagined that college football doesn't stay the same forever and ever. What a stunner. TC, <laughs> TCU, Tennessee, uh, you know, in the, in the mix here. What, do what I did know? you think, Reese, when you saw the Big 12 TV deal come down yesterday? Uh, it looked like it put them in a really strong position um, in, terms of, uh, in terms of staying among the upper echelon of conferences. They're not going to be the SEC or the Big Ten. Um, but it, it showed there's some, there's some power in markets, I think, with, uh, you know, you've got the Orlando market, you've got Cincinnati market, uh, Dallas market, you know, so – I mean, you follow that very closely. Would you have imagined that they would have come up with a deal like this when it was announced that Oklahoma and Texas were headed to the SEC? I guess I from that moment to now, I'm surprised they've gotten as much money as they have. They have, you know, they have basically are going to get set to start seven or eight million more per school on the uh, or maybe a little bit more than that. Because it's going to go from 22 million pure media to about 32 million, 31 and a half, something like that. So there's always two numbers in this, which is why reporting on this is uh, is can be a little bit dizzying because there's two sets of numbers. There's the actual media number, and then there's the total number, which is college football playoff 
number, units from the NCAA tournament, bowls, et cetera. There's, a, there's an extra pot. So they're pure media number starting in 26 when this deal starts is going to be nearly 32 million. And then that, with all the other stuff that comes with it, their number is going to go from 42 to somewhere in the low, probably the low 50s, at least 50 million. So that's, I think if you had dropped that offer sheet in front of the the remaining Big 12 ADs, and they obviously added four schools, they would have sprinted to sign that deal. I think the happiest campuses on Sunday were at UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, and BYU, because that is a truckload more mm-hmm. money annually than you're getting both media and total, like a truckload more money. So, um, you know, that's pure media wise, that's four X five. That's a lot, lot of money. So um, I think the important nuance going forward, look, these things come out. There's a lot of spin and everything of like, we're the best and we're going to outpace everybody. And then everyone's like, no, the PAC 12 is going to get this monster deal. And I think the reality is that, these two leagues value-wise were always probably in the same neighborhood. And your mark did two things. One, he just got a deal done and solidified it at a really good number. So that's important because there's stability. Uh, there's a grant of rights involved, which is hugely important for the leagues going forward. Um, it's also on ESPN and Fox, and it's not on streaming, which mm-hmm. generally now for this next, I guess it's going to be eight-year term, I think there's a good visibility sell there. Do I think this turns into some massive like domino for realignment? No, I don't. I think that if any school is thinking of leaving the Pac-12, they now just know what the cards are, right? Mm -hmm. Like they can say, okay, here's what the value would be there. Here's what the distribution would be there. And here's where we're going to be seen. Um, Institutionally, in the Big Ten had a chance to go with Amazon during its deal. And institutionally, the presidents were kind of like, for that B package, like, well, mm-hmm. let's just go with, you know, let's just go with NBC and CBS. Those are safe. Those mm-hmm. are safer. We're not going to have fans calling us. We're not going to like rile up our fan bases. So uh, obviously part of the Pac-12's future is going to be a streaming play for them to get a television deal. And with that streaming play, it's going to come some pushback. Just like you've been at ESPN long enough, you probably remember when people pushed back when Carolina Duke was on ESPN too, right? Mm-hmm, like there's mm-hmm. there's always been these evolutions. Ohio State fans were irate that the Big Ten Network showed their Youngstown game when that started. That was a whole thing. So we, we've gone through these, oh my gosh, scary change, and then scary change becomes normal. And I think that's what the Pac-12 is going to be facing. How much money they're going to get, that's interesting, right? Could be a little more, could be a little less. Um, I, I don't think anyone can say definitively but I do think just inherently there's some money off the table. So I'm sure there's some sweaty palms out West today. I think that whatever, a couple of things, whatever money the PAC 12 ends up getting, uh, perhaps they could invest into officiating or at least, um, at least like bone perce- agrees the, with you, Reese, the uh, perception of officiating or perhaps streaming some of uh, those games on, I don't know, Pluto TV or something like that would be a really, really good job because dumb loses more than smart wins didn't exactly make anybody lose. But if you saw the end of the first half of the USC-Arizona game, the officiating handling of the end-of-half clock situation was 
ridiculous. It was preposterous. And it fed the narrative, which I'm sure is not always. In fact, I know it's not always accurate that, you know, Pac-12 is deficient in officiating somehow. But, man, when there's a gaffe, it is gargantuan. If you don't know the situation, tight game in the first half with SC in Arizona. I think SC was up by four. They don't have any timeouts. They're trying to get down the field to get a, another score on the board. Looked like at the beginning of the play with about 15 seconds left that they probably try to get it in field goal range and spike it. It ends up that Caleb Williams scrambles to his right, fires the ball down the field to Rice, and now they're inside the 10, but they still need to spike the thing. But the clock stops on a first down. Now, he caught it right around the six or five second mark. So that's plenty of time because the ball is not, uh, the clock is not wound again until the ball is put into play. They get the offense to the line, people are lined up, and the official hasn't spotted the ball yet, and the clock starts running. And then by the time he puts it down, the clock has expired. Lincoln Riley's going wild on the sideline, rightfully so. They talked about it for a minute, the officials did, and inexplicably just came on and said, half's over. Like, what ad went ballistic on twitter on i don't twitter. know if you saw that and in and, yeah. and this is a great league office conundrum if a guy goes ballistic on twitter and it's justified against the officials do you still publicly recommend him and find him when, when the inadequacy he was pointing out was so egregious that it deserved the criticism um, well he probably will because he's going to the big 10 so go ahead you can oh, go good ahead point i didn't know about that it probably find him double money just trying to really really maybe stick could, they'll find him. him so much that george klyovkov will say usc is going to lose money just like he keeps saying ucla is going to lose money when they go forward <laughs> which is one of the more suspect like tropes i've ever seen a commissioner keep trotting out to like to like sad trombones because he spent yeah. his media day like distracting for basketball, distracting from their very good basketball media by, by, you know, trotting out suspect numbers. If it was a political race, I think the fact checkers would have shot those down uh, pretty, pretty quickly. But well, anyway, I digress. Never mind. Yeah. Well, no, if I was, never mind. I won't say that what I was thinking. But anyway, um, the officials fell into the trap of dumb loses more than smart wins because the smart thing to do and the smart play would have been to say, this is going to be embarrassing, but let's fix this. Instead, they're like, yeah, let's just get out of here and go to halftime. And, you know, really, really bad look. Uh, it ended up, look, it didn't matter in the long term because USC won the game, but uh, really, really bad look at the end of the half. Or maybe, I don't, I don't know, maybe it, was a, maybe it was a parting shot at SC from Arizona for going to the Big Ten. Who knows? Arizona. Does that Pac-12 officiating people. Twitter handle still exist? The one with the glasses? That's like a mock, <laughs> like a mock Twitter. Uh... It, probably at Oregon. Yeah. Uh, oh, there that was were, funny. Yeah, there were people dressed in early Halloween costumes as uh, uh, Pac-12 officials, and you can probably imagine that they were questioning just how good the eyesight was. Uh, the costumes were. <laughs> they really I, sold it. That was aggressive. Yeah, um, it they was were in very the front aggressive. row too. They weren't yeah. subtle. They weren't in like yeah. row seventeen, section H. They were like right there behind the UCLA bench. Yeah, dressed dressed as officials, and I, I, I'm just not sure what I'm allowed to say anymore about that. But you can imagine they were they were questioning the validity validity of their ability to see. And uh, if, if they were, by definition, a Pac-12 official, the funniest thing was the hat 
hadn't really been made up. It was just like, was it just like somebody they just written like Pac-12, Pac-12 like yeah. on a, on a piece of paper and stuck it to the front of their hat, which was it's like those old fedoras that say press. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You remember? Are you a Three Stooges guy? I'm not. Oh, see, I love the Three Stooges. Uh, Three Stooges were sneaking into, I think, a horse race once, and they were wearing the fedora. And Mo comes through and it says press. He goes press. And Larry comes through and press and press. And then Curly behind him has one that says pull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he <laughs> and then he sneaks in. Of course, they chase him and hilarity ensues. Would you let Teddy watch uh, the Three Stooges? I really think you should. He's pretty. He's pretty hardcore on Elmo, as we talked about before. His, yeah. his fidelity to Elmo is pretty unmatched. Yeah, we're we're getting to the point when we turn it off, he starts to get a little mad, and that's probably why all the experts say he shouldn't be watching Elmo. But <laughs> that's okay. He loves it. Makes him happy. Yeah. Who do you think is going to be number one when the rankings come out? I've got a sneaking suspicion. Well, the football guys are going to like going to like Georgia, not just because they won it last year, but because of the completeness of the team. <laughs> But the resume is going to really tilt to Tennessee. I think Ohio State people are going to be really mad because I think they're going to be number three. Um, so is it who should be number one or who? No, do I think this is, is a who do you think? I I still have Ohio State number one. I'm saying okay. who do you who do you who do you suspect the committee will will place one two tomorrow night? I suspect they're going to place Tennessee number one. I do too. I suspect it because of the body of work they have the throw down the gauntlet victory Mm -hmm. and you know ohio state has two very good victories Mm -hmm. but they don't have notre dame sort of uh flailing for a little bit and and give them credit they have they have come back and that will end up looking like a top 25 ish victory i think by the end of the season um but it's not in the same universe as scoring half a hundred on alabama Mm -hmm. so um, I, I just think that's going to resonate. And look, they went to Pitt and won an overtime game. That's the defending ACC champion. Um, they, they actually didn't play in the fourth quarter uh, against North Carolina on Saturday night, Pitt. But um, they're you know that's it's a good pro. So I really think that Tennessee and I think the tenor of the Kentucky victory is also going to impress the committee. Just that that's a that's a that's a real that's a real win um, to to win in that fashion, and that shows a little bit of the, some of the balance. Uh, Watching that, watching that broadcast, uh, Herbie and Fowler kept bringing up Tennessee's, you know, 130th ranked pass defense, and I do think some of those numbers come from they're they're ahead by so much teams have to throw on them to come. You know, you 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 just can't run the clock on Tennessee when they're up 21 nothing in a blink. So mm-hmm. I think my opinion on how it plays out, I think we go Tennessee, Georgia, Ohio State. I think Buckeye fans are mad. Me I too. also think like these rankings don't really matter. And, uh, you know, having one verse two is probably good for the sport um, on on Saturday, just in general. And I think the stewards, the stewards know that a little bit, like they, if they can juice juice things up and one verse two gets everybody pretty, you know, gets everybody pretty giddy. So, um, yeah. And I understand why the pollsters have Tennessee three. It's a mixed bag. It's going to sort itself out in, the, you know, Ohio State has its game and Tennessee and Georgia have their games. And then whoever mm-hmm. wins that game is going to have another game. Um, we we can assume so there 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 can be a lot of a lot of jousting over this stuff. Um, you know, if Ohio State's number one, am I going to flinch? No, they, they're good. They they mm-hmm. they still may be the most complete team um, in the uh, in in the country that 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 has shown that so far. And look, Georgia's really good. So I, I think yeah. any of those three, none of them would uh, would would cause me to uh, would cause me to flinch. I do like that. There's a little bit of actual drama 
going yeah. into the going into the first show. I do too. I, I this was the closest I had come to putting Tennessee number one this week, and I am more skeptical of Kentucky than than okay. others. Not not that I don't think they're good. Um, I just I think they have some offensive line deficiencies. Uh, you know, I think a lot a lot is put on on Levis. Um, I, I just I just didn't I never believed that they were a threat to Tennessee. I'll just I'll just be candid about that. And I just didn't think they could keep up. But now forty four to six was a, a little bit more than yeah. than I anticipated. That game was forty five forty two last year. Yeah. So it's in Lexington, but that you know. The, you know, credit Tim Banks, the defense, it is not easy to be a defensive coordinator on the other side of that system. Like mm-hmm. there weren't a whole lot of Baylor defensive coordinators under Art Bryles who went and got jobs. Right. The 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 list of so-called Baylor offense DCs who've gone on and thrived is, you know, could be fit on a fortune cookie. So yeah. um, credit them for like hanging on and figuring it out and kind of running the sort of aggressive boom bust turnover you know, forcing style that is, you know, that has allowed them to, to, to just stay in line with that system. But you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable as a DC in those systems. I think we're going to get one versus two on Saturday. And oddly enough for a couple of programs who, who have some history for sure. And Georgia is perhaps embarking on uh, its best period that remains to be seen, but neither of them, have ever played in a regular season one versus two game. Wow. So this will this will be a first. This is new blood in the so-called games of the century, games of the year, the decade, whatever you want to call it. So you have some new blood in there for that with Georgia and Tennessee playing. And, you know, Georgia has really been underappreciated. Georgia has the benefit of having – gone to school somewhat, although they're they're not carbon copies of Alabama stylistically on defense, but they do have the advantage of having uh, gone to school and said, we better not do that. We better not, we better not get ourselves in a position where a, a safety is uh, locked up on Jalen Hyatt. That would not, that would not be a good idea. Let's, let's say they, let's say we don't do that. And so they'll have some benefits in terms of doing now, whether they can do anything about it remains to be seen. And I also think that Georgia has been a little bit underappreciated this year because of the way the schedule went. They now they brought some of it on themselves, a couple of sleepy performances, but they they crush Oregon, which by the way is going to be a really high-level victory when the rankings come out too, and will probably justify Georgia being two, if not one. Um, so they'll have that, but it's almost as if we've just conceded everything that Tennessee is 2019 uh, LSU and that Georgia at home is going to come up short against this offensive juggernaut the way Alabama did against Joe Burrow and LSU and, and poor old Georgia, you know, that was, that was a nice little win you had last year to take the national championship, but it's Tennessee's time. And Georgia's a seven and a half point favorite. And I think there's in the double digits. No, I think there's a vibe. I think there's a vibe that a lot of people are really expecting Tennessee, regardless of what the line says. I know, I know who you think I'm talking about. I that's fine. If I, if, if I'm setting vibes, I you know I we'll talk. I don't we'll think break you're that, the only one. I don't we'll think break down that one. game in full uh, in our on our mid midweek pod because yeah. I've talked to people who played both teams and they have opinions. 
Yes, um, they do. And there, uh, th- those opinions do not include Georgia suffocating Tennessee and beating them ten seven. No, they won't do that. Uh, they won't. They won't have to. I mean, you know, poor old Stetson Bennett. And we made him a hero for a day and a half, and now could we have a ribeye side bet going here? I feel like I feel a little tension brewing. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just overly influenced because every time Tennessee and Georgia play, I just uh, I. I get, and which I want to say one thing about this too. This is a weird, I don't even call it a rivalry because I think there's going to be a tendency Saturday to try to make this into something. They don't have, they've got some weird moments here and there that are Mm -hmm. memorable, but this is not a, um, you know, a deep seated rivalry. Uh, Georgia even stupidly and oddly rushed the field in 2000 in 2000 after they beat them, beat them in 12 years, Georgia, what are you doing? You know, but anyway, they, that won't happen Saturday if Georgia wins the game, nor should it. So it's not going to be like the cathartic, you know, victory because Georgia's owned them lately. But what I always think of when I think of Georgia, Tennessee, two things, I think of Herschel putting Bill Bates on the hood, when they went on to win the national championship that year. And then, of course, I think of touchdown, touchdown, my God, a touchdown. Did, did you see what he did? Well, of course they didn't, because Uncle Larry, because it was on the radio. David Green just straightened up, and we snuck the fullback over. We just stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. We just crushed their face. <laughs> the great That's unbelievable. The great Larry Munson. That is I, uh, Pete, we're getting. I love Larry Munson. I right. love Larry Munson because he was. Could you hear him in Alabama growing up? Oh like, yeah, oh yeah, okay. yeah, okay. for sure. I was listening the night that Herschel ran over Bill Bates. Listening wow. on, on an old Grundig radio, it was a big freestanding thing which could get stations. After you walked uphill to school both ways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I was listening. That's what I, you see how exciting I was on Saturday nights. I was spending the dial listening to radio. I, I was listening to the game when, when Herschel did that, because nowadays that would be on television, but 1980, you know, for where 14 year old Reese Davis, that was not on, it was not on television yet. So right. anyway, I think about that. And then of course, Tennessee fans would love the Dobnail boot from 2016 with the uh, Joshua Dobbs, Hail Mary. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a rivalry. If you want to call it that, that has had moments that are memorable, but it hasn't continuously been the theme because Georgia, Georgia hates Florida way more. They have a, you know, deep seated rivalry with Auburn. It's more important. Uh, even keeping Georgia tech at bay is probably a little more important. And, and weirdly, they really can't stand Clemson because of proximity, even though they don't play that often. So mostly because Clemson got Trevor Lawrence, I think. Yeah, probably. So, <laughs> so, you know, it's like Tennessee falls like fifth, but, but Saturday it's, it's number one. And how about this final parting shot, Georgia, Tennessee, which you said, we'll break down on Wednesday and we will. Georgia, Tennessee has relegated Alabama LSU to the after party. Meh. And they've re- and they've relegated Florida State Miami to afterthought. I'll, I'll bet a lot of people don't even realize they're playing. I mean, I have one versus two in the regular season, and Florida State and Miami play Saturday. Wow. That's the beauty of college football. It is not just the same movie.
We are going to now let Pete go search for his Halloween costume to greet all of the trick-or-treaters in the greater Boston area as they come by for the sweets that Pete does not care for. Um, we'll break down Georgia, Tennessee. Look ahead to all of the other games on Wednesday and, of course, picks coming up on Friday. A great weekend in College Game Day at Jackson, and we thank you for listening to the podcast. Download it wherever it is that you prefer to get your podcast. We're here three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Pete, I'm Reese. See you later.